0: Oftentimes I tell people that, you know, again, a partnership, a business partnership is not unlike a romantic partnership, a romantic relationship. You're gonna learn things about your partner. You're gonna understand what makes them tick. You're gonna understand what, you know, gets them excited about a particular concept. And when people are most committed and engaged to an idea or a business is when they feel like they're bringing their strengths
1: to the table. Hi Offscripters, it's your host Sewa Ajay Pele and welcome to episode 139 of the She's Offscript podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for their business success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we meet Damali Peterman, who's an attorney, mediator, and CEO of conflict resolution firm Breakthrough ADR. In our last episode, Tiffany Gatlin shared a little of her experience with being forced to sell her first multi-million dollar company after she fell out with her co-founder, this week, I have brought in an expert to help us think through business-related conflict before and after it arises. Whether the conflict is with your co-founder, an investor, or board member, Damali is walking us through the legal protections we should all have in place when starting a new business relationship. She also gives us helpful communication techniques that de-escalate conflict. She offers free mediation resources we can all use and so much more. Before we hear the rest of Damali's episode, I would love it if you could subscribe, rate and review our show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. This will help to spread the word about our show so amazing stories like Damali's can continue to inspire women looking to launch their own off-script journeys. With that, let's go off-script with attorney and CEO of Breakthrough ADR, Damali Peterman. Damali Peterman, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for being here.
0: Sewa, it's wonderful to be here.
1: So for any of our listeners who have not come across you before, could you share who you are and what you do?
0: Certainly. My name is Damali Peterman. I am the
1: CEO and founder of Breakthrough ADR at Breakthrough ADR
0: that ADR stands for Alternative Dispute Resolution. And what we do is we teach people how to listen, negotiate, and resolve conflict in the workplace and beyond.
1: So as an attorney, how did you come to run your own ADR firm?
0: That's a great question. I saw a lot of conflict arising. Oftentimes, people would reach out to me and they would want my assistance with a situation that, in my opinion, could have been resolved well in advance of having to get a lawyer involved. And so just think about it. The last time that you had a conflict, would you have... You know, done better with it, managed it better if you had the skills and techniques at your fingertips to help you, or if you had a trusted advisor that you can call on, someone who you know doesn't know you, who's not invested in you and the outcome, who can give you neutral advice. And so that's what helped me to launch my my firm, and it's been you know wonderful helping people navigate conflict and also
1: empowering them with tools and techniques to help them manage it without me. And I hope we can get some of those tools and skills out of you today because my hope is that people will listen and get some of these skills before they need to seek an attorney's help formally for a partnership. So I do know just from speaking to people when they're starting new businesses, their first instinct is to find a partner for a plethora of reasons. But oftentimes that partner is going to be a friend or family member, someone close to them, someone that they know. Have you worked with friends and family before? And just from a professional and personal perspective, what is your opinion on going that route? Oh, that's an excellent
0: question. Well, it's interesting because oftentimes when you're just starting up, you have to somewhat rely on the kindness of people in your inner Mm -hmm. circle. Typically, a lot of companies start up with little to no capital. And so oftentimes, you know, even though we have an economy where people can hire folks on various platforms for short to medium-term engagement, oftentimes it's the sister, the brother, the cousin, the best friend, who you can rely on and depend on to kind of help you launch your vision. And so to answer your question, yes, I have worked with people that I knew. I have worked with family and it has, of course, its advantages as we kind of discussed and its disadvantages. I think an advantage is the person who is related to you may understand you, know how you work, have a good idea of what your vision is and what you want to accomplish more so than someone who may not be as familiar with you on a very personal level. Disadvantage is that when you cross and mix rather business, you know, with, you know, when people always say business with pleasure, but when you cross business with family, it can have its ups and downs, right? Because now you're connected in various ways. Oftentimes when people are working with people who they know, they don't put in place some of the protections that I would advise anyone to put into place when you're starting out a new relationship, a new business relationship. So making sure that if you have someone who's helping you as an independent contractor, that it's clear what the, you know, independent contractor relationship entails. That, you know, things are very spelled out with respect to compensation, with respect to ideas and technology, respect to proprietary rights for intellectual property, et cetera. Because when everything is great, say, well, everything is great. But yeah. when things go sour, that's when you need to have these things in place so that people know what to do if there is an issue.
1: So- Oftentimes, as you mentioned, when you're first starting a business, you're not making a lot of money. So what is a good alternative for people who may want to go the DIY route for getting some of the protections in place that you mentioned?
0: So there, you know, as far as do it yourself, I have to be very honest with you. I I don't love, well, let me say it this way. There are a lot of benefits to having, you said, do DIY for do mm-hmm. it yourself, you know, yeah. contracts and forms. There are a lot of internet resources available to help people. Mm-hmm. I don't love that as a blanket answer to any, as a blanket solution to anyone looking for legal advice, because there are a lot of nuances to what people are doing that you can't really get from a plain vanilla contractor form, right? Mm-hmm. And so, and, and, if you don't have a legal background, you have to know the questions to ask to understand whether it's appropriate exactly, exactly. So you.
1: Exactly,
0: exactly. The form is only gonna work based on the information that you provide, whether you talk to someone on the phone as a, in a consultation or you just Google whatever you're Googling to access that document. So, you know, for people who are just starting out, you know, depending on what it is. So if you're trying to form, form a business entity, Every state will have a process that's rather user-friendly for you to, to, to decide whether you want to form an as you know an LLC or a partnership mm-hmm. or you know an LLP, whatever it is you have in mind, they'll ask you some questions. There's usually guidance on the state's website, but Every state website that I've seen that gives this guidance always tells you to consult with a lawyer, right? Because there may be more to the scenario. But as far as those protections you're talking about for do it yourself, if you're working with a partner, some of the things you want to think about when you're protecting yourself is one, you know, if you don't have a lot of capital up front. How are you paying the person? Are you paying them, you know, on a recurring basis? Are you paying them with some equity, right? So mm-hmm. are you deciding you want to allocate a certain amount of equity in your company to this person? Do you want to pay them for milestones, achievements? So just thinking about what you want to do, and then that will help you to identify the appropriate document that you need if you're trying to do it yourself. But, I, you know, some people say, oh, you know, can we just have a handshake deal? It depends. It depends. Right. And some states, which I'll call jurisdictions, you know, oral agreements are not enforceable unless they reach a certain threshold amount. And some states, that doesn't matter as long as you can prove, offer acceptance and consideration. Consideration is just another way to say payment. Right. So mm-hmm. what is this person getting in return for a service or product they're providing?
1: So how soon is too soon to be thinking about a partnership agreement? And if we do decide that we're going to go to an attorney to establish that agreement, how much can we expect to have to pay for it?
0: Oh, that's a great question. I think it really depends on a lot of things, actually. And you'll hear me say it depends a lot because there usually isn't a one-size-fits-all answer to every person's scenario. Everyone has their own unique set of facts and circumstances. So if you're entering into a partnership agreement, and I should say that I... I handle those agreements and I also handle business divorce, right? So when mm-hmm. people you know, are breaking apart or dissolving their partnership. We'll
1: talk about the divorce too, but. Well,
0: <laughs> well, what's, well, what's important about the divorce, the business divorce is that's when you realize people who are, you know, separating or, you know, kind of dissolving their business, things that they want to put into the next agreement. So that's where you can sense. learn a lot about what you need based on what you didn't have mm-hmm. when you go through the solution. So with respect to, when is the right time to enter into a partnership agreement, I always think that before the documentation is solidified, you want to have a conversation with your potential partner. With this prospective person, you want to talk about more than just the vision. While things are good, you wanna then consider, you know, you know, what do we do? How do we make decisions? You know, maybe partner A had the initial, initial idea but partner B has the contacts or the connections or the relationships necessary to make the business take off. So you always wanna iron out things like that when things are good. So, you know, how are we gonna, you know, get business? How are we going to, you know, to split costs, right? Mm-hmm. Because usually up front you have to think about capital going in. Sometimes I see partnerships where one person is doing all the work, but the other person's, to, you know, providing all the capital. You know, what is weighed more, and how, when should it be reevaluated? So you can know, you know, if things should change because sometimes things start off one way, and no one has ever reevaluated the relationship to see if they should make any alterations to how the partnership is working. So I don't think there's a t- t- answer your question it's too soon to enter into an agreement you can always amend an agreement you can always make changes based on real time you know Mm -hmm. situations so i think in the beginning even having something before you talk to a lawyer that says this is what we want to do you know, this person is going to be the CEO, versus going to be the CFO, or whatever. I'm just putting that out as an example. We want to have equal voting power. We want to share, you know, in ca- the capital dis- distributions. We want to do X, Y, and Z. We want to start this type of because you can also have a partnership that's not a legal partnership, meaning a legal entity formed as a partnership. Mm-hmm. Right? You can have a partnership, but you you have a limited liability company as a legal entity type. So there are a lot of ways you can do it, but unless you already know these things, then you want to kind of take the ideas that you have to an attorney, and let the attorney kind of ask you some questions to figure out if one is better. And then you want to talk to an accountant because you want someone to tell you what the tax benefits are of certain you know types of. Um, legal entities and different jurisdictions depending on where you are so what if the person you want to enter into a partnership with is in california mm-hmm. and the other person is in texas is there a benefit to one state over over the other should you go to a neutral state like delaware so there are a lot of things to consider but it's never too soon to talk to someone what i often feel bad for people is they do a lot of work on their own and then they get a lawyer involved and the lawyer says and the lawyer says oh well what about this and they're like oh that we didn't you know that we didn't research that. Mm-hmm. But that's because you can only research what you know. I've been to Google what you know.
1: <laughs> and that's the thing is you try to be the jack of all trades when you're first starting your business. Unfortunately, you didn't go to law school. You're not an attorney. So there are <laughs> yeah. bound to be some holes in whatever work you do on your own. So if you do go to a, an attorney, how much should you budget for that expense?
0: I think it really depends on, you know, the type of attorney, you know, sometimes people go to the wrong type of attorney. But they may say, "Oh, I know someone who's an attorney, let's ask him." And that that, that attorney may be an attorney that focuses on wills, trusts and estates. Mm-hmm. And when he is someone who's, you know, more familiar with corporations, trans, business transactions, business formations, things of that nature. And so it depends on the jurisdiction. It depends on, you know, what you're bringing to the table. You know, maybe you've already done the groundwork. You figured out what your state requires. You've determined you want an LLC because maybe you had one before. And you're saying, you know, I want you to form an LLC. I want you to do this. Here's the information. Here are the initial directors. Here's what you need. Here's the filing fee. So it just really, it really depends because oftentimes people need more than just the initial formation. They may need some initial contracts. Mm -hmm. So I always tell people to budget anywhere from, you know, again, depending on your jurisdiction. In some states, you know, there people may charge more or less depending on where they are in their career. But anywhere from I don't know, five hundred to two thousand to five thousand dollars, depending. Because some some attorneys also ask for a retainer upfront. And so they bill against the retainers. They may think it will take five hours to do something and they may ask for a certain amount up front. And then instead of billing you directly, they'll bill it against the retainer. So they're just different ways to think about it. And it depends on the state because some states, again, it just depends on the state too. Okay.
1: While you're going through the list of things to think about, including within your partnership agreement, you mentioned a few things I want to delve into. So for starters, you mentioned having equal voting rights within the company. Is that a good way to go? Because I feel like there's no tiebreaker. How do you manage a tiebreaker if there is an impasse and you can't agree?
0: That is an excellent question. And we should also broaden the scope of defining partnership as being you know more than two people, right? So you mm-hmm. could potentially have three or four or five people who That's want to true. work together and that could still be a partnership. Mm-hmm. And so in the scenario where you have two people and you want to have equal voting rights, then sometimes you have, because there's no majority and there's no tiebreaker. And if you have impasse, what do you do? And so you have to put in place some mechanism to address impasse. Mm -hmm. So do you, you know, do you go to mediation, right? Do you have someone to help you mediate? Do you put it on the back burner until you can have, you know, kind of, full consensus on the scenario. So there are a lot of ways that you can, you can work it out. Oftentimes there'll be certain things that require kind of unanimous vote. So if you want to buy property or Mm -hmm. enter into certain leases, or if you want to, you know, pursue an opportunity that crosses a certain threshold, then that you may want unanimous consent on rather. Sometimes partners may have different specialties, right? So someone may be, you know, kind of like the CEO, someone might be the CFO or the COO. And so certain things are going to fall into their, you know, kind of different categories and different decision makers may have Mm. different insight based on their expertise.
1: So Um, would you, for example, if you're the CFO, could you craft the partnership agreement in a way that if this is a money related decision that needs to be made, maybe the CFO has like more voting rights or the, their vote counts for more? Is that one way you've seen people divvy it up? Yeah. I mean, I have seen
0: certain transactions require, so you may, so for example, if this just two people in the beginning, usually that's, you know, Pretty straightforward, right? Like people Mm. can't say, you know, we're not going to do this or we are going to do this. And if they have a situation where they aren't seeing eye to eye, then they may consider, you know, either not pursuing the opportunity or maybe they aren't the right partners. Just like in any relationship, a business relationship, can have its ups and downs. And mm. sometimes people realize that they aren't the right partners for whatever reason. And that's how we get to the business divorce. But I I have seen exactly that where, you know, usually it's the CFL's responsibility to present the situation and then to get, you know, input back from the other members of the partnership. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, even if you have more people, it doesn't often make it, you know, easier because maybe three people may decide one way and one person is feeling left out but that's yeah. what the voting you know is for some things require a supermajority so instead of just you know 51% So if you have more than two people, you may require 66% of people to vote yes for something. So you can put in place different mechanisms. The beauty of contracts is oftentimes people are like, oh, what's in the contract? I can't change it. If things aren't working right, you should revisit the terms. You should have all the parties who have signed to you in the agreement to amend it. That's Mm -hmm. why you see, you know third amendment to the partnership agreement, fifth amendment, you know, at some point, you you know, you just keep amending the terms. But in the beginning, just a couple of people, you know, it's really important that the parties communicate so that they can understand that what's going on, so they can make decisions together if possible. And if they can, and it's something that's very important and perhaps crucial to the, the business, it's time to sort of reevaluate whether this is the right Business partner.
1: Mm-hmm. Just from what you've been saying, I get the sense that a good percentage of business partnerships also end in divorce. Just like the the marriage divorce rate is kind of teetering over fifty percent now. So, in your experience, what have been the main causes for partnerships to dissolve?
0: A few things. One, the vision changes, right? So maybe you start off with one vision, and let's say demand is completely different than what you thought. So, so say for example, if there's an organization, partners that want to start a catering business is throwing that out there as an Mm. example. And initially they wanted to, you know, make lunches, dinners, and desserts. And they went out there, they were gunko about it, super excited. And then everyone decided that they really you know, the lunches and dinners were fine, but that they really wanted was, you know, ice cream, like their ice cream was like the best thing ever. And so now you have a situation where you have to decide if you're going to see the market and follow the demand, mm-hmm. or if you're going to keep doing what you want to do. What I also see happen is people, once they start, there's an imbalance in performance. And so mm-hmm. people often say, I do all the work. And this person only does X or only does Y, or if there's a underappreciation involved where someone feels as if they're not being appreciated or valued in the Mm -hmm. partnership, capital can also kill a relationship. If there's no access to capital, if the capital is depleted and you have to try to get funding for it, or if if you're self-funding and, you know, there it feels like there's an imbalance and also things change. People change. Life happens. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. sometimes people are like, you know, we started this five years ago and five years ago I was this person. And now today, five years later, Not I'm a the new same person. person. Yeah. yeah. So
1: mm-hmm. that happens. Now, I know one of your specialties is helping people learn how to communicate effectively and then also learning how to listen. So what are some of those communication skills that we can adopt early on in our business partnerships that can help us, you know, steer the ship away from divorce in our partnerships?
0: (laughs) Well, think about listening. and, And I'm happy that you introduced that idea because a lot of things can be thwarted with, you know, proper pathways taken at the beginning,
1: Mm.
0: having a way to recognize that you're not always going to agree and having a mechanism or process in place to address it when it happens so that it comes across in a constructive way and that it can be received in the Mm -hmm. way that it was intended instead of having a different impact. So with listening, you know, a lot of people listen on autopilot and most people listen while processing what they want to say or looking for commonalities, et cetera. And so when I'm teaching active listening, I want people to really focus on listening to understand where a person is coming from and doing that by letting that person lead them to where they want to go, as opposed to asking all these questions or, or showing when you understand. So for example, when people are having a conversation, more often than not, say someone says, I love sunshine. The person who's listening, if they love sunshine too, they're likely to say, I love sunshine too, right? Like, isn't sun great? Like the sun is amazing. What if you can't relate? What if you prefer nighttime? Now you have a situation where someone's talking and you're not fully connected because they aren't, you know, you're not seeing eye to eye on what they're saying. And I'm using Mm -hmm. a very simple, you know, hypothetical, but the way this works in a business relationship, especially to do some of the things you're talking about, which is setting up something in place so that you can kind of avoid business divorce is, you have to listen with whether you understand or don't understand, whether you relate or can't relate, whether you can sympathize or empathize or not. What you want to train yourself to do is to listen and to kind of see where a person is going by asking kind of repeating a little bit of what you hear them say, which shows them that you're connected to them and then asking them open-ended questions to kind of see where they're going, right? So Mm -hmm. instead of you leading them somewhere or taking control of the conversation by saying, you like the sun, i like the sun you. Yesterday when the sun rose, I was thinking, oh, it's a great day to go for a walk. And then all of a sudden you've hijacked the conversation. Mm -hmm. Now how this works with business is that oftentimes somebody, someone might say, you know, oh, I had this great idea to do X, Y, and Z. Now, what if you had a similar or the same idea, you know, then you want to now take over the conversation to kind of show that, well, I always tell people to pause. Pausing allows you to slow things down. It gives your brain a chance to re-engage and use executive function. So, Mm -hmm. you know, diving a little bit into the neuroscience so that you can make a cool, calm decision. Often when you're in conflict, or even if you have adrenaline pumping because you're excited about something, things are sped up things are going really quickly mirror neurons, you know, people are like doing kind of giving you the energy that you're getting. Right. So you're kind of doing things together like this. And when I say like this, you know, kind of like mirroring each other. So, you know, someone's excited, you get excited. It's kind of going that way. And so for when you want to bring this back to listening, Sometimes you have to take a moment, slow things down. Remember that, you know, if you're supposed to be actively listening, you want to capture something that the person said, repeat it back to them, and then ask them an open-ended question as opposed to hijacking the conversation. And that way you may learn more things about your business partner. Oftentimes I tell people that, you know, again, a partnership, a business partnership is not unlike a romantic partnership, a romantic relationship. You're going to learn things about your partner. You're going to understand what makes them tick. You're going to understand what, you know, gets them excited about a particular concept. And when people are most committed and engaged to an idea or a business is when they feel like they're bringing their strengths to the table. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what's key is to think about if you and your partner have you know, different strengths and how to use those complementary strengths to help your business grow. Because that's where you're going to really see success is if you're
1: doing what you do best. Agreed. Agreed. So you allow each other to feel valued in their area of expertise and flourish. And earlier you had said sometimes under appreciation is something that starts that downward spiral. So if we allow each other to shine in our areas of expertise, hopefully that helps the relationship in the long run. But what if inevitably we do end up in front of you and we do need to dissolve our partnership? What does that look like?
0: Yeah, well, it's different. I mean, there's like the mechanical part of it, right? So whatever jurisdiction you're in, whatever state you're in requires you to do to dissolve your, you know, official legal entity. Oftentimes when people want to go their separate ways, sometimes they've come to it, you know, and they've made peace with it. And sometimes they're still in denial. Sometimes one person wants to do it more than, you know, the other party or parties. And so part of what you want to do in that situation is, you know, with for a person like me, who is also a mediator, just kind of think about what the ideal vision is of the outcome, right? So what is it that you really want? And I like to tell people to kind of prepare, you know, and think about that. You know, if it's, you know, this catering business that we're talking about in our hypothetical company and there's equipment and one party knows that, the, you know, that they want to continue making cakes and lunches and they need the equipment, then be honest about that so that you can kind of get something that you want, or at least put Mm -hmm. it forward so that there's, it's not just in there inside kind of festering. If the other person, you know, wants nothing to do with the business or, you know, wants to keep the name because the name of the business is important to them. They're going to start a, you know, a printing company. Mm-hmm. and They want to use this name. We should talk about it. So the point here is to brainstorm as many ideas as you can. If you're in the situation, think about what you want, think about what you need. And then I'm going to push you further to think about why, mm. why do you want these things. Because sometimes if you, if, you know, when you're, all mediation is is uh, negotiation with third party there. Absolutely. So you know, I was
1: gonna mention yeah. what you're yeah. describing sounds like your Batna when you're negotiating, right? So you need to have a good idea of what it is you want out of the negotiation.
0: Right. Well Batna, Batna is the best alternative. So if you don't reach a negotiated agreement, what's your mm-hmm. best alternative? So if you go to a car dealership to buy a car and you don't get a car during that visit, your best alternative might be to take, you know, the subway for the next few weeks until you can make it to another dealership. Whereas in a negotiated agreement, what I want people to think about is okay, why if it, for example, and because you know your your listeners vary across different different platforms, right? Different types of industries. And so mm-hmm. another example is I'm often consulted with people by people who are trying to get a salary advance, right? So Damali, how do I, you know, improve my salary negotiations? I'm gonna go in and negotiate or to get this raise, to get mm-hmm. this new position, what should I say? And often I say, Well, tell me what it is you want. And someone will say, Well, I want five thousand dollars more a year. Okay excellent. That's what you want. That's your position. You want this. Mm -hmm. The why is important. Why do you want this? Well, I want to get a new car. I want, you know, to do, you know, get daycare for my kid, or I want to be able to take a vacation, you know, once a year. The why is important because if you negotiate for a salary increase and you're very limited in what you want, meaning you're just thinking, and if they don't say $5,000, I'm out of here. You're not going to be creative to think outside of the box to say, well, the company has company cars. Like, what if, you know, instead of if they can't give me the $5,000, they can give me a company car and pay for the insurance. Now you're looking at different ways to meet your why, Mm -hmm. to meet your interest. So I always tell people, that's fine. Write your position down. I always tell them also think about what their zone of possible agreement is. So if it's a number, what is that ZOPA, zone of possible agreement, mm-hmm. and write it down. But then write why you need those things and see if there are other ways to get those things from the person or the entity you're negotiating with.
1: Mm, So it's good to have thought about what you're looking to see come out of your negotiation. So you're not just going round and round when you're mediating, but also to go back to what you should include in, or you should make sure is inside your partnership agreements. It sounds like we should have a mediation as opposed to going straight to court. Is that something that you can specify?
0: On the one hand, I think the answer is Definitely. Mediation, arbitration is usually a process where, so in alternative dispute resolution, you have negotiation where you have the two or more parties who are trying to sort something out on their own. Mm -hmm. After that, then you have sort of conciliation or shuttle diplomacy where two parties have someone in the middle who's just going back and forth, like shuttling Mm -hmm. back and forth to help. Then you have mediation where you have a third party who's talking to both parties, who's trying to help the parties come up with their own outcome. So the mediator and the person who's the conciliator kind of facilitating that conversation and the of diplomacy, they don't have any decision-making power. They are helping you come to your own decision. Then you move to arbitration where now you have a person, a third party neutral who does have decision making power. So your the outcome is no longer solely up to you when you are like as 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 it is when you're in mediation or working Mm. with someone who's more of a conciliator. Can arbitration be binding and non-binding? Arbitration can be binding or non-binding, depending on the terms you agree to, if you have a contract that's setting forth what you're going to do. So, for example, if most people have cell phones, if you look at the fine print in terms of use, most, if you have an issue with your cell phone, if you have an issue with the, the company you are agreeing to, Arbitration, you, you know, they're, they're, you're waiving your right to jury trial to go into court, and then the last item of, you know, ADR continuum is litigation, which you know, people are most familiar with. Litigation that's popularized on TV. Mm-hmm. You have all these shows where you have a judge and a jury. You see that happening in in the world on the news. So most people are familiar with that. But in that scenario, in litigation. It's not, people want their day in court, but the day in court may come years after the event happened, right? So it's usually not the fastest route for resolution. It's usually the most expensive route for resolution. And it's usually the situation, again, remember, someone else, a judge or or a bench of judges, multiple judges, or a jury is going to determine the outcome of your situation. You have no more self-determination. You have no more you know, agency to decide what happens. So mm. I like people in their agreements to first try mediation. Most cities and states, especially major cities and states, have what we call CDRCs, Community Dispute Resolution Centers, where, say, if you're, if you're talking about a situation where people are just starting off again, there are people who mediate and arbitrate big organizations who maybe they started in court, but most court cases are settled out of court through mediation mm. uh, or, or arbitration. And so, you know, there both cities and states have community dispute resolution sensors that either charge zero, no fee or a nominal fee, or you can go in and find people who are really qualified to mediate. If you have, you know, you want to do it in a different way, there are amazing organizations that you can hire a mediator who will help you to resolve your dispute as well. That's good to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, there are a lot of ways to do it. But I, I think mediation and arbitration are essential dispute resolution mechanisms because, again, it's usually a lot faster, a lot more, more cost efficient. And you can kind of get to still have, especially in mediation, influence the outcome because you're going to say what you want and what you need. And hopefully that'll be reflected in any mediated settlement agreement.
1: Got it. Has a partnership survived a mediation in your experience?
0: Yes. yes. Okay. I've seen partnerships survive. I've seen partnerships that didn't reach a mediated agreement, but because they went through the mediation process where they were able to say what they felt, what they thought. And with a mediator, a trained mediator, you're going to hear people are in conflict. They're only seeing their perspective. They're very myopic view of things. They're not really three-dimensionalizing everything that's occurring. And so with the mediator, now you have a third person, you know, who's not a part of the conflict, who is using mediation techniques in the process to move you along the path to where you can have a better understanding of the conflict to where you can see the three dimensions of the issue and where you can perhaps see a point, you know, forward, whereas you've been stuck in the conflict for such a long period of time. So I've seen people who medi- went through mediation and didn't reach an agreement, but left talking to each other where they hadn't spoken for years before that. Mm-hmm. I've seen people reach agreement and then have felt like relief, you know, where they're now we've Figured out what to do with this issue that's happening. You know, the company, like working for, you know, if they were doing a business divorce, working with the company for the last X number of months or years have been tough. But now that we've decided what we're going to do, I feel like, oh, wait, it's been lifted off of me. And now I can, you know, we can go back to being friends again. Or maybe they decide they want to, you know, go their separate ways. There are many possible outcomes, but people just need to be honest with themselves and think about what they need and why they need it.
1: So now if anyone listening wants to work with you before, during, or after a partnership, where can they find you, Damali?
0: There are a couple, a lot of ways to find me. I would, the easiest way to find me is on LinkedIn, you know, at Damali Peterman. And then of course my company is Breakthrough ADR. That's A as in Apple, D as in Damali, R as in Resolution. And I also think too, just kind of knowing what what I hope that your audience is walking away with is knowing that, There's so many different ways to resolve a conflict and, you know, that, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, straight to court. There are ways that you could have someone intervene to help you. And it's Mm -hmm. good to know this because you want to think about, again, when things go bad, what do you do?
1: Absolutely. And you have given us so many alternatives and things and resources to think about as we are approaching partnerships for ourselves. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome, Sewa. Hi, Offscripters. I'm so glad you made it to the end of this episode. If you enjoy listening to our show, please pay it forward by sharing us with your network. Between episodes, you can find me on Instagram. Our handle is at She's Offscript, or you can catch up on past episodes at She'sOffscript.com. See you on the next one.